Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is gonna feel real good, alright? Most dope. Everybody, please put a thumb in the air. Street Hockey Radio, that's right, BSH Radio. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. We made it, fam. We made it through 2020. It is 2021, and guess what? The season is upon us. It's only a few days away, depending on when you're listening. It's a day or two away. Maybe you're listening late, in which case, what the fuck are you doing? The season already started. You're <laughs> listening to a season preview. Hurry it up here. All right. So, uh, yeah, we got a lot to get into. The Flyers begin Wednesday. They open up against Pittsburgh. Of course, they finally open up at home and not, like, in Arizona at 1030 on a fucking Tuesday. So, guess what? There are no fans in the stands. We will be able to watch on the television, however, and let's just get right into it now. Let's lead it off with the fly by herself, Kelly Hinkle. I would just like to respectfully request that Gary Bettman not speak anymore. <laughs> That's all. What did he do now? So he put out this ridiculous statement, which was, to paraphrase, aren't you guys lucky and thankful that the owners have decided to give you hockey even though it's really hard on them financially. Yeah, well. Thanks, guys. I mean, You're the yeah. best, really. Appreciate you, Comcast. Aren't Thanks. we all just so lucky for everything our corporate overlords do for us? Truly. If not for the super rich, what would we have? <laughs> Fucking nothing, I guess. You know. <sighs> all valid questions, in my opinion. <laughs> I just, like, imagine, like, forget... Like, I can't wait to hear like what happens two weeks in when it turns into the NBA and we're canceling games every other every other night. Like that'll be fun. Well, they've already had a handful of practices canceled. Yeah, sure. Over the over the weekend, it was like a big kind of clusterfuck. There was a whole bunch of stuff going on. Like the Penguins had their practices canceled, and they're coming here on Wednesday. So the Stars well, they, had six positive the, the tests. Ne- the, the Stars actually have a problem. The Penguins. Yeah. It looks like there might have been just like. Uh, you know, a contact tracing thing because they were back out there the very next day. Okay. So it looks like I haven't that, followed up on it. Yeah, it, it seems like that was maybe a contact tracing thing. Um, because yeah, they I think they had their scrimmage last night, like same as the Flyers. So um. I guess it's okay. But yeah, Kelly, I I have to agree that it, it, I think what it boils down to is you know, obviously Bettman is just trying to make him and his owners look good. But the thing that he's not 
accounting for here is like, okay, yes, probably a lot of owners are going to lose money this year. That said, they would lose even more money if they lost the season because of how much money they would lose in the long term. And this actually yeah. goes back to like one of the big problems with like the way business is being is done these days, where like everything is all about short term. There's no like there's no concept of like long term gain. It's all about like how are we gonna get the stock price up a little bit higher and all that other bullshit. Like, yes, the owners are probably going to lose money this year. If the owners said, screw it, we're not having this season. The amount of hockey fans would drop. The TV deal that they get next would be would be less. So it still makes financial sense for them to have the season. It's not like they're doing this out of the kindness of their heart. Yeah, like and in money 04, loss is fake. Uh, yeah, sorry, I was gonna say it's fucking fake. Yeah, like in 0405, they didn't have to pay salaries, and that was good for them. But then when they came back, they were no longer on ESPN. They're on the fucking Outdoor Life Network. That <laughs> yeah, was right? an actual. That was a tangible loss. <laughs> Like, and guess what? Hockey never recovered. It's now a niche sport. We make a living doing this show because no one else gives a fuck. Like, <laughs> congratulations, hockey. You're back. Thank you. So actually, you brought it all the way around. Thanks, billionaires. Yeah. Because of you, we have a podcast. <laughs> you know what? Way to go, Gary. Keep up the good work. Uh, from TheAthletic.com, Charlie O'Connor. So... Last night, I attended my first hockey game since last March. And got to say, it was pretty weird. Not going to lie. Um, it's just a very weird vibe in there. Uh, it's cool. Like, it's cool to be back watching hockey. I'm, I'm certainly not complaining. But, like, it is really odd, like, covering a game. Because we're, we're the media people. We're down in, like, the 100 level. Like, I sat in, I think, section 114. I had, like, a table that was my own separate table that was socially distanced from all the other writers. And That's neat. They, they're pumping in crowd noise, and there's no one there. And you got Jim Jackson, like, you know, just a, a section a, a, away from you with plexiglass in front of them. Like, it's just – it's a really wild – wild experience being in a game now and like it's what has to be done and i'm certainly not saying that like it shouldn't be done but it, it really won't it, it really won't feel like hockey is truly back until you've got the fans in the arena and and, that, and last night for me like that really hit home was there food there was not food <gasps> oh my god so we we have been told that at some point in the future, they may have meals like that you can like that the media can get, yeah. but you won't be allowed to eat in your spot. You'll have to like go to a set. Well, because you have to take your mask off if you're eating. So they don't want you anywhere near the ice if you're eating without a mask on. So you have to go to like basically like the concourse. They have like a bunch of tables set up at the concourse and you have to go to the concourse and eat and drink out there. Um, but no, there was no food yet, and we don't know exactly when there will be food. So I'm guessing you could probably bring it, like if you wanted to bring a snack, but you'd have to eat your snack in the concourse. Hmm. I, I just, I, when you guys were all tweeting about the setup last night, I was just thinking, like, is there a pregame meal? Are there snacks set up somewhere? Or can you buy, like, I was just very curious about the food situation. As one does. Yeah. <laughs> Got to always know what the food situation is. But no, no no food yet. Possible we could have food at a later date. But it is undetermined when that later date will be. Very right, surprised Steph. that I didn't see Charlie like tweet a bunch of really 
self-important tweets about how outrageous it is that Comcast isn't providing him with food <laughs> while he's working. All right, Pros Steph, do you that. don't have to process my uh, my re my press pass request now. If there's no food, there's no point. <laughs> there was no request. <laughs> no. Last, uh, they are very, very limited on the amount yeah. of press, uh, the amount of media that they are letting in. They reserved one spot for Broad Street Hockey. Yay. Um, I did request two plus a photographer, and we got one and a maybe photographer. So they're they're being really strict with photography, too. Um, I, I still don't know how I feel about humans all being in the same place. It's very uncomfortable. Let's go with that vaccine. Let's go. Hustle Get it, it in me. Pump me up. Pump me full of whatever. All right, and that saying. was, <laughs> last but certainly not least, that was Stephalicious D. Steph Driver. Anything else, Steph? I realized Probably I started not. talking. <laughs> I started talking to you before introducing you. It's fine. Um, it's if people don't know my voice by now, then... <laughs> this might be their first episode. Um, on, on the episode that we did where I just mashed all the voices together, I didn't even introduce myself on either time that I spoke. Like, I introduced the podcast without introducing myself. So, you know, we're doing great here. Um, I'm still really pissed off that the Bruins are in the division. Um, but less pissed off because they don't think their team is that good. Yeah, we're going to get into some uh, division stuff a little later in the show, but this is our big season preview episode. We always try to pump out one of these uh, these long episodes. Of course, we've been doing like 90-minute episodes all, all off-season just because we bullshit so much. Uh, we're just bored, honestly. But <laughs> here we are. It's a couple of days before the season starts, and the way I wanted to lay this out basically was we're going to go offense, defense, goalies, special teams, division. So it's just going to be... A whole thing of uh, a Flyers preview here, and we're going to start it off with uh, with this offense. Everyone's pretty damn excited about it. They played a scrimmage last night. There was a bunch of goals scored. Some guys we were looking to really step up seem to have. So let's get right into it, and we're going to lead it off with the players on the first line of, uh, of forwards. That is Oscar Lindblom, Sean Couturier, and Travis Konechny. And I want to lead it off with this one little question here, because something I just thought of last night. Uh, do not install Flash while I'm in the middle of something. Remind me later. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so the question I just thought of watching last night, who has, like, more to prove right now to the fans, to themselves, to the coach, to their spot in the lineup? Oscar Lindblom post-cancer or Travis Konechny post-scoreless playoffs? Definitely Konechny. Yeah, so I read this question, and, like, Oscar Lindblom has nothing to prove to me. Oscar Lindblom has absolutely nothing to prove to me. He just beat cancer and is back to playing hockey at a professional level. He's all, got nothing to prove. That's all well and good. He has nothing to prove personally, but, like, to remain on line one, he kind of, like, are you expecting him to pick up where he left off in the middle of December, leading goal scorer on the team? Maybe, but I, I also don't expect for all of these players, I don't expect all of these lines to be written in Sharpie and, and the same for, for the first month of the season. I don't think that we're going to see that um, just for various reasons, but Giroux and Couturier together is just too good. And I don't think that it's necessarily a huge demotion to go to the Hayes line. Um, Konechny not scoring in the playoffs. Yeah, that sucked, but not many other players did either. So 
yeah, they've got some stuff to prove, but these are not two guys that I'm looking at as giant question marks on the team. I yeah, do I think Konechny has something to prove, though. At least to fans. I th- th- that's kind of where I'm going with it. Like, personally, I'm not concerned about Travis Konechny at all, but I do think there's an element. There's There's a subsection of the fan base that is still for whatever reason, what is it, four months later, still very annoyed with Travis Konechny, um, or at least annoyed enough to, like, be okay with trading him, which to me is bizarre, but that's been a thing on Twitter since the end of the playoffs. Um, so I think there's, in terms of the fans, it's obviously Konechny. Konechny obviously has more to prove. He needs to prove to them that this regular season wasn't a fluke, that the playoffs aren't a sign of things to come and all that other bullshit. Limblom probably does have more to prove just in general because we don't know how he's going to be after he survived cancer. Like, we just don't know. I mean, and it's certainly like if if Oscar Limblom isn't as good as he was before the cancer diagnosis, like, no one's going to blame him. No, I don't think anybody's no. going to be mad. But it's fair to say that, like, the guy had his body ravaged by treatments for multiple months and had a like part of a rib removed and it's possible that he might not be as good as he was before i hope not i hope he's even better but yeah i mean there's an element that like he has to prove that he's still the same dude that was as you said on pace to lead the team in goals before he got diagnosed with ewing sarcoma so i, I think travis connecty has more approved to the fans i don't think he oscar Limblom has to prove a damn thing to the fans but oscar Limblom to me is more of a question mark in terms of what he's going to provide this year than travis connecty yeah i think maybe prove was the wrong word because of the connotation like oscar has to come in and now like okay you proved more beyond hockey than any of us on this show ever will Like, you know, fuck what you do with hockey. Like, you survived cancer. Congrats, bro. Uh, You're good. Kelly and I both did almost die. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. We don't have to prove anything either. (laughs) Fuck you guys. (laughs) I think I prove something every day by living, and that's that doctors don't know shit. Um, that's fair. <laughs> Considering your lifestyle, that's very fair. That's what. That's the kind of thing you should say mid-pandemic. Oh, for sure. <laughs> uh, like, like to be fair to Limblom, his Pretty evolution fair. into like into a top line player last year, like that in itself was a surprise. Like TK is supposed to be on one of the top two lines, but like it was Limblom is a smart player, a good play driver. It knows where to be and just started cashing in like crazy and scoring goals last year to the point where it was like, oh, all of a sudden, yeah, we can put you up on that top line because you're playing two both ways excellently. So, like, there is some sort of, like, built-in regression I'm expecting with Lindblom simply because I didn't expect him to be as good as he was pre-Ewing Sarcoma last year, right? I mean, to be fair, did we expect Konechny to be as good as he was last year? I mean, because I yes. think that I think it's fine to expect some regression there too. He should. I be... definitely expected him to be that good. Yeah, really, like, leading TK... scorer on the team. Yeah, hmm. TK's supposed to be a sixty-five plus point player in my head. Fair. Right. If you had asked yeah. me at the beginning of last season, I would not have predicted that Konechny would be the leading scorer on the team. I think there was always a feeling that Konechny was going to break out at some point. It was just a matter of when, and it happened to be last year, which was awesome. You know, he almost was point per game. Uh, with Limblom, obviously, there's the pedigree just isn't the same. You know, he's a fifth-round pick. 
you know, he'd never really been a power play weapon. He'd always kind of been a middle sixer, not a top sixer. So yeah, there was a leap that he seemed to be taking. That said, you know, if you looked at his underlying numbers even before last season, they were always fantastic. Sure. So this was a guy. This is a guy who, you know, if you looked at his points for sixty, he was a top six caliber player. If you looked at his impact on on expected goals and on Corsi, he was a top line player. So he was the kind of guy where, you know, it was. It wasn't a shock that he broke out. Maybe it was a it was a mild surprise that, given first line usage, he just kept racking up the numbers. Because there are some guys who, you know, they can put up great, you know, efficiency numbers in like further down the lineup. But you put them on the first line, you put them on the top pair, and they just can't have the numbers stagnate. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Like there, some guys are, you know, middle of the lineup. They're not top of the lineup guys. And Oscar Limblom for those first two months looked like he was establishing himself as a top-of-the-lineup guy, and obviously it'd be super cool if he can get back to that. Yeah, and we, like, it was a thing with Lindblom, I remember. He was always in the right place, creating a ton of chances, and they just wouldn't always. go in. It was like, And then finally, last year, it all just seemed to culminate, and then, of course, the tragic end to the season. Really hoping he's back into that uh, that form of player, and no reason he can't be. I think, to me... It is Travis Connecting more to prove because he didn't have his excellent breakout season cut out from under him. He just suddenly stopped being as good as he was in the regular season. Like it just went away. It was just him and everybody and he else. Wasn't, and it it wasn't like he's just getting robbed three times a game. He just seemed to have so little effect. And he's a guy who you notice every time he's on the ice. Usually. Yeah, I just, I have a really hard time, like, this is this is the ultimate of nitpicking. Like, these oh. three guys, and we haven't even talked about Sean Couturier yet, but, like, there's really nothing that I'm worried about with, with these three. Oh, I'm very optimistic about this season. When we get to our predictions later on, like, I, I think this team's going to be really good, but I want to look at the good and the bad with this team, and the last thing we were left with is getting the shit kicked out of us by the Islanders, and TK's lack of production was as big of a storyline as anything the last time we saw this team play. Yeah. Moving on to Sean Couturier. <laughs> uh, Selkie Trophy winning Sean Couturier, excuse me. Uh, he, Thank you. Uh, uh, he's a guy who we've you know, waited for a while to break out, and he has over the last few seasons, and it finally culminated in that Selkie trophy that we've been waiting for for him. Uh, and now it's, yep, Sean Couturier. He's the 1C. Like, I don't look at whatever line Giroux is on now as the first line. Whatever Couturier's line is, I don't care if he's out there with NAK and Raffle, that's the first line. Is he, do you think, because as of this moment, and like Steph said, this could change before the game on Wednesday. Right now, he's away from Claude Giroux. Do you think he's a 30-goal, 70-point guy without Giroux? And obviously, it's a 56-game season. Pro-rate the numbers for whatever that pace is. But is that who he is right now without Claude Giroux, do you think? Honestly, yes. I, I, I'm, I'm more concerned about Claude Giroux without Sean Gattieri mm. than I am... Sean Couturier without Claude Giroux. Like, I, I think the two are better together, but I think Couturier at this point boosts Giroux more than Giroux boosts Couturier. Like, Couturier is one of those... I just assume whoever's going to be with Couturier is going to get this boost because Couturier just makes everybody better. The doctor. And 
Giroux is good without Couturier, but with Couturier, he's freaking awesome. And that's kind of something I think we're going to get into in a few minutes is that, you know, if you can find a way to get really good Giroux, but have him not be on the line with Couturier, that means that someone else is on the line with Couturier in that place, in this case, Oscar Limblom, and then maybe you can get really good Giroux and then also really good Limblom, and suddenly you've got an even deeper team. So I don't worry, I don't worry about Couturier at all. Um, you know, maybe, I, I will say one thing is that I don't think he's been, I don't think he's had like a fantastic camp. So it wouldn't shock me if maybe he gets off to a slightly slower start than we're used to. But in the long term, I'm not concerned about him. I expect the numbers to be there at the end of the year because I think he's a great player. So don't you just think it's probably – I was just going to ask Charlie if he thinks it's just that a guy like Couturier at this point like doesn't need really to prove anything in training camp. Like he's the 1C. Like he doesn't need to go hard in training camp, so maybe he's just not going hard. Very possible. It's just, it's a slightly different camp, I think, because everybody, I think, is trying to get as into shape as, mm. like, as quickly as possible because there's so little time. And I just haven't seen, I've seen flashes, but I haven't seen Couturier dominate to the degree I've seen him dominate in other camps. And it's very possible the first game of the year, Couturier scores three points. Like, you never really know. But I just, in watching him, I don't think he was great in camp. And as I put in the outline, you know, they were probably the worst of the top four lines in the scrimmage last night, which Elaine Vino even kind of pointed out. Like, he basically said they were okay, you know, but I'm not worried about them because they were awesome last year, which is the exact right way to look at it. This was yeah. a great line last year. They'll figure it out. I'm just saying that, like, if Couturier gets off to a slightly slow start, I, I wouldn't be shocked. You know, don't forget, you know, he's – you know, he's got a a kid who was just born, you know, less than a year ago. I, I have a feeling that, like, his offseason— Less than six months ago. Yeah, that, that his offseason maybe wasn't spent as, you know, focused on working out and preparing for the season as other offseasons when he didn't have a kid under the age of one at home. Oh, no, That's is he going to take the baby the baby hit like Drew did? You have a baby, <laughs> then the no, production goes down. Dad superpowers. Dad powers. Okay. <laughs> Hopefully. All right. Uh, like, yeah, them being, like, the worst of the four lines last night, all that does is make me excited about the other lines. Exactly. Yeah, right. Like, exactly. Sean Couturier, like, we can talk about what he's going to be in a few years when his contract's up and all that. But, like, as of right now, I am I am not concerned about what he's going to give me on game day most nights, you know? Like, he's he kind of makes this thing go on offense. Let's get to the second line now, though, because... Uh, this is a uh, a line really spent almost no time together last year. We were excited to see it last week when it first debuted on uh, whenever we did the show, Tuesday, Wednesday, I don't remember. But Giroux Hayes Farabee, uh, young Beezer up in the top six. Giroux uh, no longer with Sean Couturier. Kevin Hayes holding it down at 2C. Let's just start off with uh, how good can Giroux be away from Sean Couturier? I mean, I know it was just a scrimmage, but that line was a, a lot of fun to watch in the game on Sunday night. Like, a lot of fun. And if they can be, like, even 75% that good in a real game, like, I'm into it. The passing was outstanding. Yeah, I think it it depends on, you know, what he could get from the other two. And if Kevin Hayes continues to play the way that he has been and Joel Farabee it has really surprised me so far. Um, 
I don't know if that's quite fair, but I'm really pleased with Joel Farabee. That's probably closer to what I'm trying to say. I think that this line is going to be really successful to the point where it doesn't matter where Lindblom, Konechny, Giroux, Farabee end up. These are our two top lines. Yeah, the uh, you know the, the the one thing that the Flyers obviously have in their back pocket is that if it doesn't work, they could always just move Giroux back with Couturier. Yeah, like that. It's it's very easy to be like, okay, after six games, Giroux isn't scoring. Let's just put it back with Couturier, and everything's fixed. Like, yeah, you don't get Limblom and Couturier anymore, but you still get a freaking awesome first line. And Oscar Limblom is a should be a pretty darn good player even away from Sean Couturier because he had never really played with Couturier until last season, and he was already a pretty darn good player. Um, one thing that was fascinating to me, and I, I noticed this when I was looking up stuff for um, for my article last night after the game, you know, Giroux spent a fair amount of time with Hayes last year. Farabee spent a fair amount of time with Hayes last year. This line never really played with each other last year like this group of three they only spent i think in total about four minutes which you know what's that like six or seven shifts over the course of the year like but that's the entire season four minutes the entire season yeah like that's nothing legitimately (laughs) a brand new line so you're kind of hoping that maybe it just clicks for them sometimes lines they have more chemistry than you think they might and the way they were passing especially in that first period was really exciting to me because to be passing that well, you know, after just a week of camp, after just maybe three or four days together as a unit, that it, it's, it's exciting. It's exciting because it makes you think maybe these guys just happen to have that gift of being on the same wavelength as a group. And maybe that's something they can carry over into the season. I hope it is. Steph, you said you've been maybe not uh, like surprised, but you've been pleased with what we've seen out of Faraby and just his placement in the top six, like with Claude Giroux, with Kevin Hayes. That's a big deal for a kid his second year in the league who, decent rookie season, but I don't think anyone watched his rookie year and went like, oh yeah, 40 goals next year, you know? Um, did- well, especially when he didn't make the team out of camp yeah. last year. They, they brought him all the way to Europe just cut him and then make him sign autographs. Someone's got to do it. That was I spent thing. I spent so much time last night looking for the sad Joel Farabee picture where he's wearing his glasses and signing autographs right after he had been cut and I couldn't find it. So anybody listening if you have it just send it to me please. Do we expect Farabee to be able to stick in this like top 6 uh in this top 6 role where like it really it it provides so much uh, depth having him there and being able to bump both JVR and Voracek down to the third line, and we'll get to that line in a minute. But just the distribution of talent—if Farabee's able to stick in this role, whether it's on this line or with Couturier or wherever—like, oh my God, is exciting. Do we think he can play a full season at around this level of play? Did he spend I... a fair bit of time in the top six last season? Yeah, he, he did. did. I just, I just don't know if he actually. Deserved, deserved it, it. if, mm-hmm. if yeah, that makes sense fair. like no, like fair. he was he was there and he showed flashes but you kind of got the sense that he was there because they were trying to you know they were trying to help him they were trying to put him with good line mates and it was like okay well maybe he's not a second line caliber player yet but we put him with second line caliber caliber players and that line will be a second line caliber line to me joel farabee is one of the more interesting players in the team for me to watch because He's one of those guys where if he takes a big step forward, things get really exciting. Like, 
he to me has real breakout potential and i'm not saying it's going to happen because sometimes it does sometimes it doesn't but if it does suddenly this forward core looks really good and mm-hmm. i think it's legitimately possible that he could he got bigger right yeah he's up to yeah. 186 he did look a little quicker, especially in the scrimmage. I, I thought the scrimmage last night was the best he's looked in camp, which is good because it means he's trending upwards. Um, he was winning more races to pucks than, than he did last year. I felt like he was you know, a little bit more comfortable in traffic last uh, last night than, than I remember last year. So I could see Farabee having a breakout. And if he has a breakout, as I said, the boost that provides to the forward core, it, just, it gives you another top six forward. And this team already has a lot of top six forwards. I kept losing him on the ice because of the 86, his new number. I was having I was having a hard time with that. But What do we think of this know. number? I don't think it's a particularly pleasing number to look at. Oh, I, I like it. I like but it. For I like reasons, higher I numbers. I just say. 86 doesn't do it for me. I it makes me like laugh. The, I kind of like the fact <laughs> that it's Jack Hughes's number and he, he's taking <laughs> No, because right. like, because there were there were like rumblings around um, around the draft that basically like Farabee was a little annoyed that like like kind of he was going to be like one of the stars of the U.S. national team development program in his draft year, and then Jack Hughes showed up and was like Jack Hughes, and I kind of I mean I I don't think this is the reason why I picked eighty six because he said it's because it's his childhood number, but I kind of like the idea of Joel Farabee being like yeah. I'm going to prove I'm better than Jack Hughes. Oh, God. That's the story that's now. Yeah, whether that's true And Joel true Farabee or not. is going to win a cup wearing 86 before Jack yes. Hughes does. So. Whether that's true or not, that's what I choose to believe now, Charlie. No, that's exactly it. That's the story, and I won't hear anything I mean, against it. It's going to be before Jack Hughes makes the playoffs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kevin Hayes. We're all real big fans of Kevin Hayes. How can you not just enjoy the man, Kevin Hayes? He's he's fucking hilarious. Uh, and he was pretty damn good for the Flyers last year. He's one of their best performers in the playoffs. Not that that's like a high bar to clear, but he was. Um, was last year the best case for Hayes, or do you think there might be even more there? So... I thought about that question because I don't know whether you had asked it before or if I had seen it on Twitter or if it was just something that we were thinking about. Um, And I I think that if it is best case scenario for Kevin Hayes, I don't think that it was necessarily an outlier. I think that, you know, this is – this is something that we can expect from him and this is a performance that we can hold him to like this is this is what you did and this is what we expect from now on and how he looked in the scrimmage scoring two goals real quick like I'm not mad at it I'm not upset (laughs) and against Carter Hart too who like I hear is a pretty good goalie I don't know about that second He's he's not bad I don't know. I, about he, that I hear he's pretty good. My, he's not Mackenzie Blackwood, but I hear he's pretty good. <laughs> Mackenzie Blackwood, guys, Mackenzie Blackwood is so good. Corey Crawford showed up and said, fuck this and quit. I'll never <laughs> like, get a game with I this guy. I can't play against that. with this guy. Come on. Uh, I will say, like, my only takeaway from that scrimmage was that second Hayes goal. I was like, ooh, Carter. Yeah, yeah that that's one I was okay. like. It's okay. He's getting the rust <laughs> off. Against his own team. I know. That's I, fine. Yeah, build up their confidence. Like, he's the man and he knows it. Build yeah. up the guy's confidence a little. I like, like it. And then the you watch him in, you watch him in the shootout. We'll talk about yeah. that. But you watch him in the shootout and, and he's really good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually think 
it's funny that you say, like, was last year the best case scenario for Hayes? I actually think Kevin Hayes is going to have a better year this year. Hot damn. But, like, in a different way. Like, I don't think, I think part of the reason why everybody, the perception of Kevin Hayes' season last year was that it was so good. Game winning Because goals. he was just, he was just insanely clutch, and I don't think he's going to be as clutch. But I think by the numbers, he's going to have a better year this year than he did last year in terms of overall impact. He's just not going to be like only scoring goals and Flyers wins. I like say, weren't they season. undefeated? Or maybe it was like, it was like 17 0 and 2 or something. It was ridiculous. It was like yeah, some asinine number were, that, like, nuts. I looked it up several times, and every time I was like, that's not, no. <laughs> they pretty much <laughs> never is, lost. When hockey reference is wrong. I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah. So I actually think he's going to have a better season this year than he did last year if you're purely looking at it from like an objective numbers standpoint. But I don't think he's going to be as exciting as he was last season, because that was honestly just a little fluky. And, like, last year, he did. Like, we all remember how it ended, and we all remember his personality. First half of the season, he had several, like, long offensive slumps. If he's just able to, like, even put up similar numbers, but be a little more consistent, like, I, I think I like what Steph said the best just in that maybe last year was best case, but it's not unrepeatable. You know, like, yeah. it's a very, it could easily carry over and he could put up the exact same numbers and I'd be just as pleased. Yeah, they don't always need to get better. They can just stay as good yeah, be and everything is were. fine. Yeah. Exactly. Just continue to be good. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm happy with mm-hmm. that. Like, be good, score goals. And I was watching a video from, um, I think it was from the Flyers website, but it was Jason Martinez talking to, I said his name weird, Martinez talking to Claude Giroux and Michael Raffle. Um, and Mertides, sorry about Bear, um, no. described Kevin Hayes as a one-man frat party. <laughs> they, t- they talked about Kevin Hayes for a little while, and it's just like, you know when he's in the room because you know when he's in the room. And Giroux was like, if we go one day without seeing each other, whether it's a game or practice or like just one day without seeing each other, he sends a group text to every player saying that he misses them. Oh. Like, he, he, <laughs> like, well, like we, we talked last year about the, like, yes, they lost some intangibles with, with, with Wayne Simmons, but like they needed some sort of more personality in the room. And like the offensive output was great. What he could do as a two C excellent killing penalties, all that, uh, shorthanded goals, but just like giving this team a reason to want to come to work, like it, he yeah. he just seems to have filled a role that was sorely missing in that department as well. Yeah, so they talked about Giroux was talking about his personality and how he's just a little bit extra, but mm-hmm. you know it's good. And then Raffle was like, "Yeah, and he's a good hockey player." <laughs> so, <laughs> that sounds like Raffle. Oh yeah. <laughs> I really love I really love this Kevin Hayes quote about his new line mates. Uh, and he's it, this was last night after the scrimmage. He says, these games are to build chemistry, and I feel like in practice, me and G talk a lot, and Joel works hard. It's a good combination. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the perfect two veterans and a young guy. Mm-hmm. Like He's probably know, terrified of them. You're going to go do the fucking four check-in, and you're going to pass <laughs> to us, and we're going to score the puck, kid. How about that? Like, I just, I just think it's a great, like, I like this combination of personalities with G is captain, Hayes is the funny guy, and 
the hardworking youngster on the right wing. Like I just, I think this this line has a ton of potential. I'm really looking forward to watching it throughout the season. Hopefully, it sticks for a little. Like hopefully, again, we're talking about this in terms of lines. They might not even be together on Wednesday, but it just seemed like the easiest way to talk about these guys. And we saw them play together, so it's how I've chosen to done it, uh, chosen to do it. Uh, so suck it if you don't like it. All right. Um, shit, are we at like 34 already? Wow. We yeah, we, we need to get rolling here. Yeah, all right. I, gonna, I, I think we get, we do a long show. I just think it's probably a good time for a break. Yeah, we're going to. Oh, gonna, yeah. look at Charlie being on top look of that. I love it. Look at this fucking guy. professional. We're going to break right here and we'll be back with like the other 75% of the show. <laughs> this is great. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. All right, fam, we are back, and uh, it's time to talk about the third line now, which you could make a case might end up being the first line by the end of things here. I mean, based on the pedigree, based on pedigree alone, we have a pair of second overall picks and a seventh overall, and two guys making over $7 million a year. Um, Each. Yeah. JVR Patrick Voracek, I'm not saying I want them, like, starting a bunch of D-zone draws, but fuck, man, this could be a real matchup problem for a lot of teams as a third line. So when I said earlier that the second line could just as easily be the first line, I would like to say the third line could just as easily be the second line. Yeah. These three lines, now the, the talent, we'll see how it how it turns out because we don't really know what Voracek has left. We don't really know what JVR is going to look like, and Patrick is a wild card. But if they all hit at the same time, we've got three top lines here, guys. Like that's, It's a that good would problem. Be nuts. Now, the probability of them all hitting at the same time, I'll leave that to Charlie, but <laughs> they, if they all have solid like good solid seasons i i, I don't know how anyone's gonna beat this team mm-hmm. yeah, i just I, that was my main takeaway from from the scrimmage was that you know it's a scrimmage obviously you're playing against your teammates you can't really take too many things away from something like that it's clearly not a super meaningful game but i don't know how you could have watched that scrimmage and not came away thinking like holy shit these forwards like this could be really, really special because these this is four lines that are all good. And not just good, like they all have the potential to be very good for their spot in the lineup. Like the Couture line has the potential to be a great first line. The Hayes line has the potential to be a great second line relative to other second lines in the league. And same thing with the other two. Like, you know, you look at the scrimmage. You know, Team Orange probably should have won that game. They had the top two lines and they had the top pair. And Team White kind of, dominate it and it was in part because this Patrick line was awesome like they and I mean they got they had that's the the one goal the the Patrick goal which we'll talk about but they just were dominant and 
you know, I don't know if you mentioned about them being sheltered. I don't know if I want them, you know, taking necessarily tough minutes. But the cool thing about the way these lines are set up is that they really shouldn't have to. Like, that's the thing. You know, no one's going to confuse Jake Voracek and JVR for defensive stalwarts. They're just not. And Nolan Patrick, well, like, you know, he mentioned after the game last night that, you know, he obviously places a lot of emphasis on two-way play and whatnot, but he's still only in his third season in the NHL. Like, he's not going to be a Sean Couturier-level, you know, defensive presence down the middle. That said, you could easily set up this line where they're they're facing off against fourth lines because, like, the, the Lawton-Roffel-NAK trio, which we'll get to in a few minutes, they can face off against second and third yep. lines. Like, they can take those minutes, which means you can have Nolan Patrick, James Van Riemsdyk, and Jake Voracek out there against, like, nobodies if you coach <laughs> it right. If, it's and, so and nice. That's a, that's a really, really cool thought. I... Um, Ahead, you know, I, I agree with you that JVR and, and Voracek are not <laughs> not defensive guys, but Patrick doesn't refuse to backcheck. I mean, he will. The other two, meh. And I will say, like, Jake, he tried on defense last year for the first time in his Flyers career. <laughs> like, he considered it. He, yeah, he did like, think about, about it. it. In, in fairness, JVR kind of did too. Yeah, J- no, like, JVR, I was going to say that. And so did Jake. Like, JVR... Everything they looked except, at a defense. Everything except scoring goals, which is his job. Like, he's only there to do one thing, and it's score goals on the power play. He did everything else better than I've ever seen him do it before. It was literally just that. And I know you have that here, Charlie, because I want to ask about, like, JVR bounce back. I realize, I realize what the underlying numbers say. I do. And for the first half of last season... I thought, like, JVR is just going to have a hat trick and we're going to be good to go. And then he just seemed to, like, lose confidence and it never happened. And then I thought he started trending down and that's when he starts coming out of the lineup. I I I really think JVR is a lot better than the perception of him amongst many fans. But he does just need to score more goals this year, right? I mean, the team needs to put him in a position to do so also. And they... Last year, they weren't. If Nolan Patrick is healthy, this is putting him in the exact position I want to put him in third line power play. Like, that's what I want him to do. That's what I wanted to do when they signed him. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the thing, as I, I, you know, put in the outline, as I'm going to go into, like, by the numbers, his year was very good. He was, you know, by everything except the power play where he wasn't very good in. But, you know, he was the Flyers' best play driving forward by expected goals. He was the fourth best by by uh, shot differential by Corsi behind only, like, Giroux, Couturier, and Konechny, like the team's three best the forwards. The best players, yeah. Um, he averaged 2.25 points per 60 at 5-on-5, five five, which is basically first-line level. It's honestly more like mid-tier first-line level, which is a hell of a weapon to have on your third line. The big things that were problem with him last year, obviously the power play, he he had real problems finishing, and he was really, really, really streaky. Like, that was one thing I found when I, when I really broke down a season is that I think part of the reason why people remember it so poorly is JVR had this trick where he started out the season on this crazy cold streak. Then he scored a bunch of points in a short period of time. But no one was excited about that. They were just like, oh, well, it took freaking long. Because it got him back <laughs> basically even. Like, okay, yeah, that is... got him back to even. Yeah. Exactly. And then he goes on another cold streak, and everybody gets annoyed with him. And then has another, like, it was always, he would always follow up a cold streak with a hot streak. So it never felt like he was actually getting ahead of the game. It was just he was making up for how invisible he looked to people the month prior in, like, a one-and-a-half-week burst. 
And I just wish he would be able to spread that out a little bit more. That would be really nice. A streaky given, goal scorer. That's wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah right? streaky goal scorer. <laughs> Can't believe it. His name isn't Alex Ovechkin. Wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I just said, like, you're putting him in now in position to be the guy we wanted him to be because they should have a productive third line. What are your expectations for Nolan Patrick? Because I don't want to get ahead of myself, but um, he scored a goal, so now I think he's a franchise center again. <laughs> I mean, he looked good in the scrimmage, so it's it's hard not to think that he's going to look good in real hockey games, too. I'm sure that there will be at some point, I think, like Steph said last week, that maybe towards the back half of the season, he starts to struggle a little bit just because he hasn't played a full season of hockey in a really long time. But he looked... I mean, as somebody who like noted Nolan Patrick Hater, Kelly Hinkle, I thought he looked quite good. So I was happy to see it. I know you're a noted uh, Nolan Patrick Hater, Kelly, but I have to run this by you because I thought of it while you guys were talking about the third and fourth lines and how they could be utilized. Oh. What if we just call the Lawton, Lawton, Lawton mm-hmm. Raffle, and NAK line the third line, and this is a scoring fourth line? Huh? No. Huh? How about we just don't no. call them numbers? Let's just not let's just not do numbers. Yeah, let's have let's have a fifteen million dollar fourth line. Well it's, does it matter if know. it works? I mean not I don't give a, a shit. It's no, not my it mind. does exactly. matter because like, you know, you need other players. Uh, whatever. Who gives a Listen. fuck? Listen. So <laughs> in Nolan's first two years in the league, he had Damn near identical point totals. Yes. 13 goals each season, 30 and 31 points. I want to see 20 goals from him this year. And if we can get, I mean, 40 points doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility. Seems reasonable expectation. Well, you one know, thing, that's, one, one that's thing, what my expectation is for him this season. One thing you do have to remember is it is a shorter season. And so. he doesn't get power play time. Well, he'll he, he'll be on the power play. I think he'll be on the second unit, but obviously not the first. I just I I'm kind Let, of all right. So prorated. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Pro, prorate yeah. twenty goals. I think is a reasonable hope. For, yeah. for Nolan. Yeah, if he stays healthy, which obviously is the big question mark, because I mean that's been one of the truly exciting parts about this camp, and it's something I had been writing about, but obviously like no one was able to see except for the few people in the media that were granted access to camp. Like he just looked like the same dude. Like. Yeah as he did before all this, it looked like he hadn't missed a beat. And that's pretty much what he looked like in the scrimmage, except one could argue he even looked better than he did (laughs) the last time he was out there. He looked quicker. And what I really, really liked about what he was doing in the scrimmage, which is something that I was concerned about. And it's not a slight against him. It's just that, you know, it's what happens when you have a brain injury for a year. I loved how often he was going to the high danger areas. I mean, he was, he was attacking the low slot and the net front constantly in that scrimmage and there was no signs that he was scared to get hit I mean he was going to the areas where you're going to get hit and maybe you're not going to get hit in a scrimmage because you know it's your teammates and they don't want to kill you unless you're Sam Moran (laughs) Um, but, but but the fact that he's doing that like I don't think he's going to magically stop doing that when the games get real I think he's in the mindset of that's where I need to be to score goals. And it's great that that hasn't left him. And if anything, he was doing it more last night than he did at times in his first and second years. Yeah. I, I am really impressed actually with how he looks. I wasn't, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what to expect in the scrimmage. I didn't know what to expect with him stepping back on the ice. 
you know, it's been a long time and, and I'll always defend him because brain shit is scary, but I thought he looked good. Like his, his stride looks the exact same and you, you don't actually know if that's going to be the case after you haven't been on the ice for that long. Um, I, I think that we can expect big things out of these top nine guys. I, if, if all of them are having good seasons, like even if one or two of them are just having average or below average seasons, like this is a really good team. Oh, it is. Yeah. And that's like, I think it's unfair to have like real lofty. I know I joked about a franchise center, but like, I think it's unfair to have super lofty expectations for Nolan. Uh, Mine have to start with, like, he plays every or mostly every game. Like, you know, if he takes a shot to the skate and misses, you know, they're playing three and four every other week. Like, if he has to sit out one or two here or there, that's it's not like his migraines came back. Um, but, like, if he plays 50, 52 games or whatever and just kind of produces at the level they need him to is the 3C. Like, I did the high and wide radio um a live show yesterday and they asked me for the team MVP and like obviously the answer is like Carter Hart like if Carter Hart is what we think he is nothing else really fucking matters like if your goalie's good enough the other stuff kind of falls into place uh but just what Nolan Patrick might be able to provide I'm not saying he's gonna lead the team in points or goals or anything but the idea that he could be a damn good third line center thinking that like it's a role we've been trying to fill for several seasons now it could kind of be the thing that makes everything else go. And that's real exciting to think that uh, maybe not a some a player we'd given up on, but a guy who you, you had to lower your expectations for him at some point could turn it around and become a key cog in a good playoff team. Yeah, I mean, it, this kind of goes back to what I was saying about Joel Farabee, where Nolan Patrick is another, another one of those guys where – it's he's almost like a pivot point for how good this Flyers team can be. Like if Nolan Patrick gets hurt and can't play, or if Nolan Patrick is just just does exactly what he did his first two seasons and is fine, then I don't think the Flyers are going to be bad. But if Nolan Patrick takes a big step forward, and if Nolan Patrick plays the entire season, and if Nolan Patrick starts to really look like the second overall pick, like he's in the same boat with Joel Farabee, where the ceiling for this team just goes up so much. So that's why he's an exciting player, because, like, I could plausibly see Joel Farabee having a breakout because he had so many almost plays last year. He looks bigger, he looks stronger, he looks faster. You know, he looks like a guy who I could plausibly see having a step forward. Nolan Patrick is a guy who I could plausibly see having a step forward because, number one, just him playing is a step forward. And then, number two, he's a freaking second overall pick. Like, he's never lacked the talent. And it's always possible a guy with that much talent just, you know, shows up and is really good. And you can't rule it out. He's still only 22. And, so like, some guys— To me, he's just such an important player for that reason for the Flyers. Some guys— the upside is enormous. Some players are just, like, late bloomers without all the complications that this kid has had. Like, he comes in with the, uh, the core muscle injury. He has the migraines— there's fucking COVID going on, so he can't even get in shape for the bubble. Like, there's so many things on top of maybe it was just always going to be a project with him. And not a project. Like, he was good when he stepped. It's not like he didn't belong when he stepped on the ice at 19. It was just like, he's not a star right away. Maybe he was always just going to take a little longer, and this is it. This is the breakout. 
All right, to the fourth line now, or whatever we want to call them. What, what, what we don't want to use numbers anymore. How do we? The honeybees. Can we do that again? <laughs> <laughs> we don't use the yellow jerseys anymore, unfortunately. So uh, Michael Raffle, Scott Lawton, and Nicholas Aube Cubell make up this uh, make up this final grouping of forwards here. You know, I Michael Raffle, if he's on my fourth line, I have no problems with him. If he's anywhere else in the lineup, I am sad. But I am happy if he is on a fourth line. And with Lawton and NAK, like, shit, man. I, you know, I'm not well-versed in every team's fourth line. But how many fourth lines have three pretty good players on them? Not many. many. Yeah, <laughs> not many. Especially considering most coaches are bad. All yeah. coaches are bad, but I like ours personally, so I'm not going to say it. <laughs> um, like, no, I... Uh, this this is actually something interesting because it was a question for my mailbag that uh, that Brad from BSH asked uh, that I ended up answering my mailbag and his question was you know can is it fair to say the Flyers have a case to be the considered to be the deepest forward core in the league not the best but the deepest so the way I looked at it was I was like okay well when we say deep what do we mean and we pretty much in my mind mean you know the like, if you're looking at the bottom of the lineup, are those guys still really good? So what I looked at was the value by by Don Luce-Chichen's, uh, um GSVA model that he uses at The Athletic, the value of the three lowest-rated forwards in a team's lineup. And the Flyers were tied for the best three worst forwards in their lineup with the Colorado Avalanche and the Nashville Predators. <sighs> now— my conclusion and my question was: I think Colorado is probably a deeper forward core because not only I mean, are look they at their first as, two lines. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, not only Jesus. are they just as deep as the Flyers, like guys like J.T. Confer and Matt Calvert and Pierre Edouard Belmar, like they're pretty they're pretty comparable to this this fourth line. And Colorado also has maybe the best player in the world in Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen and Gabriel Landeskog. So, like, Colorado is probably the deepest forward core in hockey. But like, the Flyers might be second. And a lot of that is, you know, due to the fact that Scott Lawton is a middle six forward playing fourth line center. Nicholas Albay-Cupel, in my mind, is at least a third line caliber player. And and Michael Raffle is a damn good fourth liner. And this is your fourth line. Like, very few teams have a fourth line this good. So, like I said, I'm a big... I, I like Raffle in a fourth line. But the fact is, he does tend to miss... Lots, lots of games. He just, he gets hurt. He plays a physical style. He blocks a ton of shots. He mixes it up. He is a true fourth liner. He's got skill, but he's a fourth liner. And he's getting up there a little bit. Is it going to be Samuel Moran? Is that who my, is that my 13th Uh. forward? Is that my guy drawing in out of the taxi squad to step in on the fourth line and just fucking hammer people? You know what's fucked? I would love it. He's going to okay. play. Kelly's mad. I would love it. I'm just but saying not he's... Not at the expense of Michael Roffel. He's fucking going to be because they won't put Morgan Frost in to play fourth line minutes, despite the fact that Morgan Frost is the obvious next choice to make well, the fucking Morgan team. Fro- like, I don't want Morgan Frost on the taxi squad not playing, though. He's going to be, mean, right? I, I, until the AHL starts, I think he should be yes. on the taxi squad. Yes, at least. until the but, AHL well, starts. Yeah. Yes. But once the AHL starts, yeah, if he's not, if Morgan Frost isn't playing on a nightly basis in the NHL, I want him playing in the AHL so he can convince the Flyers that he deserves to be in the NHL. <laughs> Everyone, look at me. I'm what actually a, good. What Pay a attention. circular. Like, 
Got to play in the AHL so people know I'm an NHL player. Let's do it for fucking ever. It's great. Somebody who's good at the economy, tell me what I'm doing wrong. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm doing. I don't. I don't know if Morgan Frost is like an awesome NHLer. I don't know if he's a good NHLer. I'd like him to be in the NHL lineup, but since I know he's not going to be on the fourth line, I have made my peace with that. And like, I I would love if Michael Raffle is not in the lineup or NAK. I would love to see Big Sammy smashing people's brains. (laughs) (laughs) He he didn't he didn't look that good in the scrimmage. I thought he, I, I so I thought he actually, I thought he was invisible to bad in the first two periods. Yeah, I thought in the third period he looked okay. I mean, he he made, some he, plays. he he made some plays. He looked like someone that plays professional hockey in the way that like Zach Ronaldo looks like someone who plays professional hockey. That doesn't mean that I want them on my hockey team. <laughs> Don't you talk shit on Zach. <laughs> I'm just glad that Kelly's found someone else to hate. That's not Nolan Patrick. Moving like, on, okay. baby. It's fine. I'm you can evolving. Hate Sam Moran, Samuel. <laughs> I'm gonna call him Sam. Breakfast lunch. <laughs> I never it's saw like, that it's video. It's like Dale Weiss. <laughs> I How saw... have you never seen that video? I don't like. It's I don't so see this shit. I, I I never do. Whenever there's a video, people are like, I can't believe you haven't seen it. That's me every single time. I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't I, have Instagram. I, we I'm talk lost. about it all the time. Yeah, I just this, I just pretend to know what you're talking about. <laughs> Because I don't want to seem like a fool. But I list, I saw it today, and I, I haven't laughed that hard in 2021. That was <laughs> And Sandheim is sitting there screaming at him. Pissed. That, that, I can't like, believe they didn't fight. That's the best. Like, I, like the, the breakfast lunch thing is, is legendary. It's iconic. But, like, I cannot tell you how often in my life I have felt like Travis Sandheim in that moment. Where it's just like, what the hell? How are you not getting this? That's, I mean, that's what makes, what, what I assume they were playing Taboo. Like, that's the fun yeah, of Taboo. that's what it looked yeah. like, yeah. Like, that's what makes Taboo fun. All right. Uh, and I'm just wondering how long they were. So if anybody doesn't know what we're talking about, just go to my Twitter and I, I put a video. Um, it, they're playing Taboo and the word is brunch. And Samuel Moran says every other word <laughs> and every word combination except for brunch, in, like including screaming breakfast lunch <laughs> right at Travis Sanheim. <laughs> just like, just doesn't, it just does not compute, does not. The word brunch just doesn't come to him. And I'm wondering how long this had been going on before Danny Martell decided to bust out his phone. (laughs) How long had Samuel Moran been saying supper, dinner, dinner, lunch, (laughs) breakfast, dinner? How long had that been happening? I, I love, too, about the, the way the video is done, how, like, it cuts off just as Travis said, I was literally about to implode. <laughs> he, he's going to, like, the fact that Samuel Moran survived that night, I'm that's impressed. Like, it's one of those things that's like, um, yo, I would I would fight you if not for the fact that I'd die. <laughs> <laughs> this could come to blows, but I learned forgiveness real quick when you stood up. <laughs> All right, uh, we're gonna get to the no, deep- go, going, going back to the, the yeah. fourth line though. Like your question about Raffle, I oh, do yeah. agree that like Samuel Moran is going to play this year. I'm confident of that. He's going to get some games. Now, how many games he gets is probably going to be dependent how on how useful he proves to be, both in terms of you know that 
nebulous concepts of intimidation and also just can he keep up with the play i mean at some point you know they did give up on chris stewart so if samuel Moran is just bad at left wing they're not going to keep throwing him out there um but in truth like if raffle goes down i have no problem with you know a scott lawton Connor Bunneman, Nicholas Albe, Cubell, fourth line. I mean, Bunneman was perfectly fine as fourth line center last year before they traded for Grant and Thompson, and Lawton's better on the wing anyway. So, like, that's fine by me. If, if Raffle goes down, if Raffle has one of his yearly, I'm going to spin around and take a shot block to the back of my foot and break my foot thing. Like, I'm God. fine with Connor oh, Bunneman there. But I Charlie, hate when he does that. I hate it so much. No, no, it's fine, because if he does it right, he won't get hurt. <laughs> that's what he always says <laughs> yet you continually continuously do it wrong <laughs> uh like listen love, i love raffle i i, I like rob i'm it's just you know you gotta bust balls it's funny it's, it's it's very funny uh like i i realize that bunneman coming in as 4c might even be better um but like i just want it it's not even about intimidation it's about the actual infliction of physical pain on the opponents not not injury but pain i want them to pay for trying to break the puck out like that's i mean i don't I hate that i like that part yeah. i mean just, is he gonna do it can he well, catch them yeah that's we'll the be there. we'll find out you know we will find out i guess yeah. All right, so uh, we're going to talk about the defense and stuff, but I want to and the goalies, but I want to talk about the taxi boys, uh, the taxi <laughs> squad, and the the AHL team. Um, Alex Lyon, he's going to be the third goalie, right? He's just going to travel with the team, and if someone goes down or needs a night off or whatever, here comes Alex Lyon as the taxi goalie. One would think that's what I assume. Yeah, yeah. it's him, right? They they know what they've gotten him. Yeah. Um. He doesn't have much more to prove at the AHL level. No, he's like 32 years old. Yes. No, he's like 28, so, I think. I don't know. He He's old enough to to just, like, he's not a Morgan Frost. We don't need him yeah. on the ice playing. Yeah, let's exactly. just bring him along. So outside of the goaltender, though, I mean, we, we joked about uh, Samuel Moran. I mean, I, I assume he's going to... Um, He's going to clear waivers and be put on the taxi squad. I don't. I don't see any other real. I don't see any other real uh, logical endpoints for him. Who else do we think are going to join the taxi boys? You know, I'm a big dumb, and I didn't realize that the taxi boys had to clear waivers. I didn't until today either. Yeah. 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 They do. I mean, unless you're if you're waiver exempt, you don't have to. Right. So yeah. there are some guys like, for example, Connor Bunneman, Carson Turinsky, Lena Sandine, Morgan Frost, Igor Zamula. These are guys that can just be assigned to the taxi squad because they're still waiver exempt. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, Samuel Moran has to clear waivers. That's why he was waived today. Um, Andy Andrioff, same thing. You know, Derek Pouliot, who I assume is an option if they want to have two defensemen. Um, you know, on the or or even if they would rather uh, Zamula not be a uh, a taxi squad guy, he could be an option to to be on the taxi squad if they want. You know, nine defensemen in the rotation. Um, yeah, you know, the only guy I'm sure is going to be on the taxi squad is Lyon because obviously they're going to want to have that third goalie in the mix in case disaster strikes. Um, they got one more spot on the on the roster, though. You know, that was one thing. We know that, that Mark Freeman made the team because they didn't waive him, and he would have had to be waived to be demoted. So they got one more spot. So somebody else, I would assume, is going to make this team. I guess in theory they could just roll with a 22-man roster, but— I mean, why would you? 
why? Well, well like you could bank cap space, but the cap thing space is, is that was my guess. Yeah. But wouldn't you want to have as many players in reserve in case COVID strikes? Mm-hmm. And having like if you go with a twenty-two man roster, like that doesn't mean you could have an extra guy on the taxi squad. It just yeah. means you have a twenty-two man roster. Guy, yeah. Yeah. So why not if you have the cap space? carry that extra guy and just kind of have him serve as like a de facto taxi squad guy. Hmm. I think that that just makes sense. Like why not max out the amount of dudes you can have with you during a pandemic? Always have the most dudes possible. That's Um, what I'm saying. I've been saying. I just, my, this, this (laughs) leads me to, that's a good one. Um, This leads me to my next thing though, is if they're going to be in it, you know, and, I think they're going to win the division, so they're going to be in it. You would think they're going to want to add something at the deadline, and they don't have a ton of space uh, in terms of cap space. Maybe it is just a a long game play. It could be a risk that doesn't pay off, but with the taxi squad traveling with the team, I guess it's – is it worth it to – if you think like, okay, we could be shopping for Nate Thompson and Derek Grant, or we could be shopping a level up, I think it's maybe worth the risk. I don't know. That's a lot. There's a lot of ifs, like what ifs going on there that I don't know about. And I'm really nervous about this year's trade deadline just because. No one's going to trade. I'm I'm just nervous about it because the cap is so tight and all of these teams are right up against it. I, I don't know whether that means it's going to be a free-for-all or – if it's going to be a really quiet day. I think that the travel restrictions and the COVID stuff and like you can't trade with a Canadian team. Like you simply can't do that really. Like, so I, I just don't think that anyone's going to do anything this year, to be honest with you, as far as trades go. All right. Uh, I mean, you can trade. Although with I did read something team. today just... that someone was like, yeah, the Flyers are definitely going to get line A by the end of the season in a trade. So. I mean, there are some people who, I mean, and look like, as I've said before, they're interested in line A, but I'm certainly not writing in pen that they were getting him. No, I, Bill, I, I see your point about cap space. I just, even if even if they bring in that 23rd guy, they're still going to be banking cap space. Like, they're still going to enter the season with over a million dollars in cap space, and obviously that compounds on a daily basis every day you bank it. So I think they'll have enough, maybe not enough to go out and get like a 10 million dollar player or get like a taylor hall without sending somebody else back but they're gonna have flexibility at the deadline to make ads and i fully expect if i fully expect if the flyers are good that the flyers are gonna make some trades because that's just what fletcher does i mean this plays back into that whole concept of bias for action that uh you know that 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 dave scott and paul holmgren cited when they made the change you know Chuck Fletcher almost always makes moves to the deadline when he thinks his teams are good. And we seem to think this team's going to be good. So I'm expecting the Flyers to be active at the deadline if the Flyers live up to my expectations. I guess we can get into this now. We're talking about ifs. We're talking about the potential for trades. Uh, If all goes well with Nolan Patrick at 3C, it doesn't like at what point is there? a slot for Morgan Frost on this team is, is a, is a legitimate question. So I wonder if all goes well, with Nolan Patrick, could Morgan Frost find himself included in a, in mid season trade talks for potentially that elite ish type player that, uh, that's missing from Philly's lineup. Obviously it would take more, but he'd be a part of such a potential trade. If Patrick pans out, 
Is that more of a possibility? I mean, at some point, it's going to have to be because, I mean, the fact of the matter is they're not going to play him on the fourth line ever. So that's out the window. Center, not going to happen, clearly. If they're not willing to put him at wing, and even if they are, like, the wing depth is pretty deep, too. So it's like, at some point, I mean, as much as I like Morgan Frost and I really want him on this team, if by midseason he's not on the team, like, he's probably never going to be on the team. So you're going to have to, you know, figure it out. See, I'm not going to go that far. I I think a lot of this, you know, the big thing you do have to remember is the Flyers, rightly or wrongly, want him to have more time in the AHL. They want him to excel in the AHL before they call him up. So I don't think that if he's, if he's still in the AHL by midseason, that that means he's never going to carve out a spot on the Flyers. That said, Bill, yeah, I could see – you know, Morgan Frost being part of a trade package if the Flyers, you know, decide they want to take a big swing on a guy. Yeah, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility if Nolan Patrick, you know, proves that he's, you know, at least can play at, a, at an above average level, even if he doesn't, you know, prove that he's this like next, you know, first line caliber center that we're still all hoping he can be. Yeah, I could see Morgan Frost being involved in a trade. He's a, he, he if Nolan Patrick is what we hope he's going to be and is over this migraine disorder, Morgan Frost does become an expendable player. That said, I do think the Flyers are open to the idea of playing him at wing. You know, they, they've been rotating him at wing more. I would say he's, the latter he's played hit. some wing in camp, right? Yeah. I, I he think did in the scrimmage, right? And like, yeah, well, they're, they're never going to come out and say this, but I think what it boiled down to was they were using him at center exclusively at the start of camp because they didn't know what the deal was with Patrick. Mm. And once Patrick made it clear that, like, I think I'm ready, then it became, okay, well— we can look at a depth chart. There's nowhere for us is going to play at center, so let's start getting some time at wing because if he's going to play on this team, it's either going to be as an injury replacement at center or it's going to be at wing. So I don't think they're necessarily opposed to the idea of him being a wing, and there could be some wing spots that open up. Like, you know, if the Flyers go into the expansion draft and find a way for Seattle to take, you know, James Van Riemsdyk, suddenly there is a wing spot in the top fair, nine opened up. Fair. And maybe that becomes Morgan Frost's spot next season. So I'm not saying that, like, this is closing the door on Morgan Frost as a Flyer. I do agree, though, Bill, that, yeah, he's – if Patrick is locked in as the 3C or one of the three centers – it does make Frost more expendable than it did when we were very uncertain about Nolan Patrick. All right. Uh, just one more question, and this is kind of related but not. Say this team, like, wins the East. Uh, they're deep. They've got uh, Carter Hart steps up. He's, he's, he really is that guy. Um, the defense plays to its maximum level. All that. And say they run into, like, Colorado, who is deep with stars. Do the Flyers have enough? Is depth without a true, like, fucking superstar enough to win the Stanley Cup? I mean, it would be extremely tough against the Avalanche. Like, that's the kind of thing where it becomes, like, one team is very obviously better. Like, there's, it's not a question. So it becomes a situation where things need to fall the Flyers' way, which happens a lot in hockey, so I don't think it's out of the realm. And I do think that they could hang with the Avalanche in a seven-game series. But it would be an extremely tough win for them if the Avs are in the final with them. 
Okay, uh, let's get to the defense. You, you know how I feel about the Avalanche, and it's not strongly. I That's don't wild. love them. I don't love them like everybody else wild loves them. I, I acknowledge their talent, but you got to look at the Flyers and how talented they are. And I don't think that it's fair to say that they don't have a superstar when you've got Sean Couturier that just won the Selkie Trophy. I he's not Nathan McKinnon, though. Yeah, I mean. Well, has Nathan McKinnon won a Selkie Trophy? No, but he's arguably the best player in the entire sport. Has he won a Stanley Cup? Has Connor McDavid won a Stanley Cup? No. Fair. N- none of these things have happened. I think that he can kiss my ass. So, because you go. they haven't, we're going to say, like, having good players is bad. Like, that's, that, <laughs> no, no, but, that but fucking I, argument's I, I do, nonsense. Because lots I, of really I, great players have. Look, Bill, I agree Sidney that Crosby argument's should nonsense. have five. But, but... If you're going to say that you can only win Stanley Cups if you have an elite player, you have to reconcile with the fact that a lot of teams that have elite players don't win Stanley Cups. Yes, you need to be deep as well, and that's why I like you need a lot. You need a lot of things, including luck and a goaltender, and I guess those two things are the same. Uh, oh, weird. We've got a superstar one of those, too. Maybe. And that's that was part of we're going to get into later some other time. Kelly has to run soon, so I want to get into the defense real fast before Kelly has to go. Because uh, I think this Kelly is... Kelly has to go, like, now. Yeah, I know. It's 923. <laughs> we have two minutes. Two minutes. I read Charlie's 10 observations from the scrimmage, uh, and the forward stuff was exciting. Uh, you had a nice note on heart settling into the game. But other than Provorov's toughness coming back from yet another shot to the foot, uh, there was no mention of the defenders. Is that concerning? Because we really thought at one point like the defense would be the strength of this team. Years back when we had all these prospects, it doesn't look like it's panning out that way. You know, I I don't have a great answer for this because our, our good friend Micah has noted that the defense is the weak point of the Flyers lineup. And I don't... I, I just don't have a good response because Provorov is so good. Sanheim, really good. Myers should be really good. And then Justin Braun is fine. And Robert Haig is bad. And, and Shane Gossespierre, we'll see. Might be either but good like, or bad. <laughs> it, you know, it's going to be one or the other. Um, But the, the good players that we have are really good. I... Yeah. I, I, I'm... Torn on the defense. I'm glad that you brought that up because it is one of the things that I am struggling to wrap my brain around because pretty much everybody that runs a model in this sport is pretty much like, yeah, the Flyers have really good forwards and Carter Hart's probably good, but who that defense? And I look at them and I'm like, are they really so bad that they're dragging down the incredibly deep and talented forward core that we just spent an hour and a half talking about? That is going to make the Flyers like a middle of the pack team. That seems it seems so odd to me. Like I don't get it. Like they can't be that bad. I think I think what's happening is that Myers is so young and so new, and Sanheim is still young and new that they're a little bit uncertain and a little bit unproven. I mean, Provorov is a tank, and while he's the same age as Myers, you know we we know that he's a workhorse. I, I think that they're just a little bit unproven. Um, the loss of Niskanen hurts, but, you know, this time, well, not this time last year, but our preview show last year, we weren't expecting big things out of Niskanen, and we got big things out of Niskanen. But we weren't looking at the defense as a negative last year. So 
I I don't know. That's that's where I I come up. I I I could probably be swayed in either direction. No, I can't. I take that back. No, I can't. Like they're they're good. They're just not as strong as our forwards, That's, but they're not middle of the road. To be a weak point on this team might not necessarily like we think the de- we think the forwards are the deepest group in the league. We think the goalie taking the next step is a legit superstar. If they're just okay at D, like it's not like we're saying they're bad. It just takes a lot of projection to say no, they're actually good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's an element here, and this kind of plays into a conversation that it it, it goes off and on in stat hockey stat world it's it's an interesting debate it's one i've been a part of for a while it's this idea of like who's really driving the bus when it comes to team success and like for example dom dom Lustician's model very much is of the opinion that forwards more than defensemen are driving the bus and i more or less agree with that that to me with your defense like obviously it helps if you have a freaking stud or a couple freaking studs like it, it you know if you have a victor headman it's an advantage over everybody but i do think that if your forward core is good enough all your defense has to be is not awful like that's the problem with the winnipeg jets the winnipeg jets defense is so bad that like it just kills the fact that their forwards are really good i don't think the flyers defense is winnipeg jets level bad no, no, no. i think it's i think it's fine and I think if guys like Myers take another step or if Ivan Provorov shows he can carry a pairing without, you know, somebody like Matt Niskanen next to him, then it could be good. Now, could, is it going to be great? Probably not. But I, I equate it to, like, where the Flyers were in the early part of the 2010s, okay, especially after Pronger got hurt. So that 2011, uh, that, that the 2011-2012 team, the team that beat the Penguins in that crazy series and whatnot— that defense was not very good. No. But it really didn't matter that much because the forwards, I mean, that was a team that had, like, JVR on the fourth line. They were rolling, like, an insanely deep group of forwards. And if anything, that's a pretty similar team to... That's a pretty similar team to um, to the... Uh, to this team, you know, you have a team that's basically built around being able to come at you in waves from a forward standpoint. And... Um, and yeah, you know, that team didn't fall apart until the defense really collapsed when they lost Carl, when they tried, you know, throwing Bruno Gervais out there and guys <laughs> who were just god-awful and Luke Shen and whatnot. Um, so I think this defense is good enough. Is it great? Probably not great. Could be good. And I think another wild card here with regards to the defense is that I think if the Flyers are really good this year and they're looking like a potential contender i believe that chuck fletcher is going to go out and he's going to get another defenseman like i i do believe that fletcher will be aggressive if the flyers are looking like one of the five or six best team in the league and their primary weakness is we could use one more legitimately good top four defenseman to solidify that top four along with proveroff sandheim and myers I think he goes out there and he uses a first-round pick and gets one. That would be awesome. So that's part of the reason why I'm not terribly concerned about it. I think this defense is good enough in the short term, and I think Fletcher realizes that he might need to be aggressive and improve it in the long term, and I think he will do it. So in uh in the down goes brown column you're uh you're on your site uh, that athletic thing Charlie yeah he, that thing. he did a uh, he did a, an intriguing players to watch column 
and he has Ivan Provorov in the honorable mentions section. And he says, Flyers fans would argue that Ivan Provorov deserves to be right there with Makar, Hughes, and Heiskinen in the young defenseman rankings, and this might be the year he leaves a, he leaves the rest of us with no choice but to agree. Is Provorov on that level? Um, yes. I would say no. I, I just think that they're different types of defense. Yeah, they're different Fair. styles, and some might argue that Provorov maybe plays a more cerebral, complete game, but, like, those guys are on the cusp of legit superstardom, and I think Provorov is good and will turn into a number one defenseman who is on a cup-winning team. But is he a future Norris candidate right now? He's not that for me yet. I think he's very no. good. Yeah, I just the thing with Provorov that kind of puts him a tear down from these guys for me is just I don't think Provorov is an elite offensive defenseman. Mm -mm. Like, and we've and, seen and, him and put up I, numbers. Yeah, but, when, I mean, and when I say when I say offensive defenseman, yeah. I don't mean like okay, like a Gosses Bear yes. or, a, or a Carlson, but I mean like I don't think he has elite offensive instincts, and I think you see that on the power play. Like, yes, he had all those power play goals, but a lot of that was just seeing eye wrist shots, and he does have a very good wrist shot. But I don't look at him as a guy who, you know, is this incredibly creative passer and is super dynamic and everything like the way that McCarr and Hughes are. I think he's very good defensively, and I think that that's, you know, one of the reasons why he's going to be a great number one for the Flyers for years to come. And he's going to get his points, to be sure. But those guys have the ability to be dynamic with the puck in a way that I don't think Provorov has, and I don't know if he ever will gain. Maybe he will, but, you know, it's getting to the point where he's closing in on being something of a finished product, and I just don't think he has the, the high-end offensive skill that those guys, particularly McCarr and Hughes, have. So uh, Yeah, I agree with that. I don't have much more to add because I, I agree. So... Shane Goss despair. Uh, do we have any indication what the hell's up with him? No, no. I mean, I've been pushing on it, but nothing. Um, you know, obviously there's some people that, you know, wonder if it's an injury. Some people wonder if maybe it's like a contact tracing thing. My guess is we'll find out tomorrow when they, uh, when they announce the lineups because, or when they announce the final roster, um, because obviously if they're going to put ghosts on IR, they're probably going to say what's wrong with them. If they're not going to put them IR on IR, that implies that he's, fine-ish and could be good to go now whether he'll play in game one if he's clear from whatever is keeping out of the lineup I don't know um you know he was with Proveroff those first couple days then he was deemed unfit to play now Braun's in that spot but I don't I don't know I I don't get the sense that it's like season ending but I I can't tell you either way you okay. know what it is I just haven't been able to dig it up Flyers have been pretty mum all right uh so Kelly had to leave us. Uh, I, I'm thinking we do the division stuff on the rest of the league preview tomorrow, and we just yeah. wrap up with the goalies here. Works for me. All right. So for I get like Carter Hart, we're all expecting big things out of Carter. Obviously, anything can happen, especially with a goddamn goalie. Um, but I think we're all expecting some level of competence from uh, from Carter Hart behind him. Like, how much are you expecting Elliott to play in this 56-game season? Like, there's going to be a lot of back-to-backs, a lot of three there and There are four. a lot of back-to-backs. Um, I... 
probably 20 games, maybe a little bit less. Yeah, I'm expecting them to play a fair a fair amount. Just because um, it's such yeah. a, a compact season. Yeah. Like, I, I flat out asked Vino last week whether they were going to be willing to use Carter Hart more in back-to-backs because of the nature of the schedule. And Vino dodged it. You know, he basically, you know, he, he look, he's a pro. He's very yeah. good at answering a question without actually answering the question. And this was one of those examples of him answering the question with just a lot of words that didn't actually commit him to doing anything. And the answer, um, the answer, yeah. <laughs> the answer is probably like, we'll see how the fucking first one goes. If he, yeah. if we do, if we play him back to backs and he pitches a shutout and this, you know, we'll give him the next one and we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Like it could be, that could be the answer. I mean, this is one of the I, – I talked about how, you know, Joel Farabee, Nolan Patrick, Carter Hart is the other one. Like, those are the three guys who I view as the pivot points for the season. You know, if if one of those guys has a breakout season, the Flyers are in really good shape. If all three of them do, the Flyers are a cup contender. So, like, those are and, – and by breakout, I mean, like, Carter Hart has a shot at winning the best. Yeah. You know, like, finishes with a, a 926 save percentage because hey, he's already good. He's got, it's a matter of how good he's going to be become. He's got, like, the second or third best odds last I checked. Yeah, well, I mean, he's, he's up there. a great young goalie. But the point I was making was those three are the three guys who I see as, like, the positive pivot mm-hmm. points where I think their floor is reasonable, but their ceiling is really high, which is why they're very exciting pieces to me. Brian Elliott and the impact of him playing a lot of games is one of the things that does concern me. It worries me because I just don't know how good he still is. And if he has to play a lot of games in this schedule, that could make the Flyers team goaltending a lot worse than it should be considering the fact that Carter Hart is the number one. And let's face it, if Brian Elliott has to play a lot of games, that means we're going to see Alex Lyon. Yeah. Like, we know this. This is a fact. It's a concern. That's a good point. Like, Elliot, yeah, I don't think the numbers were quite fair to Elliot. Like, I think he was better than his numbers oh, showed I agree. last season. That said, his numbers still weren't they very good. <laughs> yeah. And if he does that again, and he's a year older, what's he, 35 now? Like, he's 35, he's old. He he might be bad. And if he's bad, it's not like he's only going to play five games. He's going to get He's going to get a lot of appearances. And that could be a problem for the Flyers. How do we think this Eustamenko injury affects the organizational depth? Because, like, it's bad because, you know, you have to go further down and, like, say there's catastrophe, a goaltender. Suddenly it's like we don't have any. Uh, but it, and Not like he would be the savior. Just saying, like, you're even further down the depth chart at that point. Um, but I think the blessing could be it's, it's a real opportunity for Felix Sandstrom. Uh, not necessarily in the NHL, but just like this is a make-or-break year for him. He turns 24. If you're listening to this, like when you're listening to this, he's 24. He turns 24 tomorrow. He's in the final year nah. of his ELC. Like this is it, really, for Felix Sandstrom to really get a, a stranglehold on a spot in this organization. No. I guess so. Yeah, I guess. I don't know what happened to Ustaminko, so. He's he's hurt. Um, forget exactly some sort of ligament, injury... right? Yeah, I forget. Was it a hip or something? But in any case, he's out. He's pretty much out for the season. It's not going to kill his career, but like it definitely puts him out of the out of the mix for this year. I don't think truthfully that's that big of a deal okay. because you know, look, if the Flyers get down to their fourth goalie, they're screwed anyway. Yes. Yeah, and I don't think Ustamenko was ready for the NHL. Probably like not. if. 
if it gets to the point where the Flyers have, you know, Carter Hart can't play and Brian Elliott can't play and Alex Lyons playing games, the Flyers are going to either claim or trade for a passable goalie before they were going to throw Kirill Ustamenko out there and have him start six straight games. Like, so I don't think this really affects anything that much at the NHL level. I do agree, though. Yeah, I mean, it gives Felix Sandstrom an opportunity to play some games in the AHL, which might have been difficult in a normal season because you had Ustamenko who jumped him on the depth chart, justifiably so, because Sandstrom was crap last year in his first year in North America. I guess I'm at the point where I just don't care that much about Felix Sandstrom anymore. I know he still has fans, but I don't really view him as part of the future anymore okay. because Carter Hart is Carter Hart and because they have other goalie prospects that I view more highly than him. But, yeah, I guess this is. like To me, the, the most important value that, that Felix Sandstrom is going to play this season is Felix Sandstrom is going to be the guy who they can expose to meet the goalie requirement in the expansion draft. That, to me, is the biggest value that Felix Sandstrom is going to provide this team this season. Now, if he plays in the AHL and has a bounce-back year, great. I'll recalibrate my expectations. But for now, I just I just don't care that much about him. Right. I'll put it that way. Yeah, that's uh, pretty much how I feel. I'm, I'm, I'm all in on Carter Hart, and I know that I need to care about the goalie depth, but I don't right now. Well, I, like, I, listen, if Carter Hart turns into the 60 65 game starter we all fucking want him to be like nothing matters but you know not a single thing like, literally not nothing in my life matters like that's it i know <laughs> you know? no listen not, they're not with you talking about hockey i'm talking about like <laughs> fucking. oh i'm out of gas i don't give a shit carter hart's winning the vezina like i have to pay my electric yeah. bill i don't give a shit all right <laughs> uh but like the organizational depth we've We've all seen what happens to goalies. Like, not even just, like, they go bad. I'm not expecting that. But, like, fuck, man. Groins get pulled. It happens. So, um, you know. But, yeah. It doesn't really matter. Sometimes just from sitting on your couch. I've done it. Yeah. Same. <laughs> all right. Do we have anything else? Should we wrap it up and just do whatever's left tomorrow? Yeah, uh, I think let's just do whatever's left, right? Yeah. Yeah, we're doing another show tomorrow. So, if you hear this one and another show isn't quite yet up on our you know podcast feed just keep waiting yeah. it'll be up soon <laughs> it'll enough. be there all right so uh thank you all for listening thank you for hanging out uh, if you haven't already hit that subscribe button just search broad street hockey wherever there are podcasts and boom content delivered to you daily seasons here that means content non-stop you will not be able to keep up with the amount of shit we send your way all right for uh for kelly for steph for charlie my name is bill Matz. have a great week everybody